This is the word of the Lord, uh, Genesis 46, starting in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, and uh, Beersheba, the sons of Israel, carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods which uh, they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob, uh, into Egypt, uh, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Pelu, uh, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, uh, Zohar, and Shal, the son of the Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Sh- uh, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yab, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, uh, Zered, Elon, and Jalil, these are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, uh, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, uh, Ziphion, uh, Hagi, uh, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and uh, Erali. Oh, sorry, bear with me, all right? I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Berea, and Zerah, their sister, the sons of Beriah, um, Haber, and uh, Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, uh, Joseph, and Benjamin. And to Joseph, in the land of Egypt, were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, uh, Baker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, uh, the sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jazer, and uh, Shil. Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom uh, uh, Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were uh, born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. 
he sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariots and went up to meet Israel's father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Joseph... And I will say to him, my brothers, my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they, are, they have brought their uh, flocks and their herds and all they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. All right, wow. Ooh, what's in there? What's that got to do with us? All right, let's, let's pray and we'll find out, okay? Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your word and uh, we thank you that uh, often it has so many strange things in it. And if we were to write a Bible, um, these were, would not be the things that we would put in there. And yet, uh, you know what we need and... Um, Lord, I, I even sense some of the things from this uh, passage are timely uh, for our church. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to come be our teacher and uh, that you would teach us what it means to be the people of God, to be your chosen people. And uh, I also pray that um, these words would be uh, not a burden to us, but these words would uh, breathe joy and life and hope into us. And um, they would also call us to obedience that we might follow our Savior Jesus. And so uh, we ask for your blessing now during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking in really in close detail at the Jacob's family, his sons, uh, his Son Joseph was, became the prime minister of, of Egypt. His brothers sold him into slavery. And last week we saw that they were reconciled. And now they've come up to get their father Jacob and, uh, and bring him down to Egypt so that they're going to live in Egypt. And uh, so we've been looking at, at kind of a, a close-up of this family and looking at a lot of the family dynamics of this family. And um, what we're going to do this week is actually we're going to zoom out a little bit. And because in some sense, as we've been looking up close, we, we can lose sight of the big picture of what is the book of Genesis about. Um, what, what, what's the, the big picture that's happening? And actually, there's a verse in all those verses that I read. Let me just say one thing, by the way. If, you know, a passage like this, if you read that and you want to say, what's the main point of a passage like this? What, what should I be looking at? When God speaks... That's always the most important thing in any passage. So in a passage like this, you look and you say, where did God speak? And it turns out when God speaks, he says something that is a, an important line in the whole book of Genesis. And you see it there in verse 3. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. That's a repeated line from the book of Genesis, is something that, that God had actually said to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And uh, let me just give you a quick summary of what Genesis is really about. Genesis begins with God making the whole world. 
And he makes, uh, and, and the first 11 chapters are really about humanity as a whole. You know, he talks about Adam and Eve are the first parents of all of humanity, and, and Cain and Abel, the first children in humanity. And, uh, and Adam and Eve, they, you know, disobey God, and Cain, and, you know, Cain murders Abel. And, uh, and then it says that uh, there was, uh, uh, the Lord saw that there was, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only in evil continually. And there's this flood that co- kills all the people of the earth. And the main thing that's being set up in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is this is a picture of humanity that is broken. That God has made us and we don't know how to be human and we don't know how to live together and we don't know how to love God. And so the question of Genesis is what is God going to do uh, about this broken humanity? And it turns out what he says he's going to do is that God chooses to make this one nation great. He's going to make a special chosen people that he's going to make them great. That's God's solution to broken humanity. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard that a lot. You know, Israel in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. And so you might say, oh yeah, that's what God did in the Old Testament. But at least for me, I think that that is a counterintuitive solution to you know, a world that is violent with each other and having all kinds of problems that now God is going to choose this special people. Because, you know, one of the problems in the world is that we have all these tribes, right, where you have ethnic groups that are warring with each other and they think their ethnic group is superior to other ethnic groups and so then they kill the other group. And so you'd think, wow, now God's going to make his little tribe, his little group of in people, people that are in with him, aren't they going to feel superior to all the other people? Isn't this just going to aggravate all the problems in this violent world for God to choose a special people? And uh, actually, you know, as Christians, a lot of people that, you know, and you might be here and you're not a Christian, a lot of the problems that people have with Christians is they say, you know, that's the problem with Christians. They think they're God's special chosen people and that they're in with God and everyone else is out. And so they, they're condescending and, uh, and they, they're self-righteous, and they look down on other people. And so when we look at this, and God says to Jacob, I'm going to make of you a great nation, there's some question to us of, is this really what the world needs? Is for God to have a favorite people? Well, uh, the answer to that is, on the one hand, God has to have a people, right? Because God... Uh, um, you know, on the one hand, God can't just say to everyone, everyone is in. Because, because the world really is, there are many bad things that happen in this world. God has to look at this world as a judge and say, I just can't accept everything that happens in the world. He has to be discriminating. And yet, he can't just say to the whole world, everyone's out. He can't say everyone's in, and he can't say everyone's out, because we're all, we were made to have fellowship with God, to be loved by him, to be embraced and accepted by him. So in some way, God has to pick a special people just in the right way so that it actually doesn't produce more violence and more, you know, self-righteousness and, and separation and estrangement among humanity. He has to choose a special people just in the right way so that it actually brings life and joy and love to humanity as a whole. And, uh, this, and uh, that's actually what he's doing in the book of Genesis. And this is an important thing for us, right? Because the Bible says that, you know, in the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people, but now the church is God's chosen people. We were chosen in Christ. Christ is the chosen one, and we are in him. So we are now his special chosen people. And so this has, big, this has relevance to us of how do we view ourselves 
as God's people, especially in a place like Bellingham. And what I want to do is uh, look at this passage and see that there are three qualities of God's chosen nation. Three qualities that makes them like no other tribe. They're not just another tribe in the world that says we're in and everyone else is out there. It's, we're actually, what God intends for us is radically different. And I want to highlight three qualities of, of God's community that he's building, and they're this. These are the three qualities. That first, we are chosen to be sent. God chose us to send us. Okay? We are chosen to be sent. Second, we are chosen for the outsider. We are insiders for the sake of the outsiders. And third, we are chosen for weakness. So we can't be superior because we're chosen for weakness. We're not chosen for strength. We're chosen for weakness. So these three things, these three unique qualities of this one tribe that God is making and that we're a part of, okay? So the first is this. We are chosen to be sent. Now, the reason um, why this is an important point of God's special people, that they are sent, is that the reason humans form tribes, form in-groups, is for a sense of protection, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's you know, how ethnic groups form together and, and uh, to, to shelter one another. But, you know, that also happens in a high school, you know, when in a high school or even in a church, when people form little clicks and this is their in-group is they feel a sense of security they feel the warmth of that secret intimacy that i'm in with these people and they feel a sense of fear of being out isolated in the cold um outside of a group that i'm not connected to anyone there's a fear of that and so we form these groups in order to protect ourselves but for god's chosen people he is constantly saying to them you are in with me i'm making you an in people but i don't want you to stay in I want you to go out. I'm sending you out. And you see that in this passage. Look at verse 1. So Israel took, Israel is Jacob. That's the same name. He has two names, Israel and Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, um, uh you know, we've been looking at, at the, the story of Jacob's sons, uh, how his, Jacob's sons went down to Egypt, and, and his son Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt, and they went down to get food from him. And so now Joseph had called for Jacob to say, hey, he sent his sons up and said, bring my father down to Egypt, and we're going to live in Egypt, and I want him to come live there. And um, it says there that he's starting his journey down to Egypt, and then he comes to Beersheba. And, I, you know, if you don't know much about uh, Bible geography, Beersheba is actually the, the southern... Uh, border of the promised land of Canaan. So actually, some places in the Bible, when it says they're going to send out a census or something, it would say they send out, you know, messengers to Dan, all the way from Dan, which is the north side of the, of the promised land, down to Beersheba. It's, it's the, the southern border. So he's come to the last town in his promised land that God had promised to give to him. And he's about to step into the desert and then cross the desert to go over into Egypt. And, you know, Jacob has had a pretty tumultuous life. Um, you know, over the last several years, we've been looking through the whole story of Genesis. And Jacob, you know, Jacob uh, grew up in the promised land. His father was Isaac. He had a brother, Esau, who was kind of a tough guy, who uh, I actually, 
uh, they had had some conflict with one another, and Esau wanted to kill Jacob. So Jacob fled. He was homeless. He was broke. He had nothing, and he, was, he just fled from his family, and he left the promised land. And he, there's a story, actually, about him. He was sleeping in the woods, and he had, used a rock as a pillow because he had nothing. He didn't have a tent. He didn't have anything. And, and God sends him away, and he goes, and he actually becomes a slave of his uncle for 20 years and so that he can marry this girl that he loves, and it's beautiful. And then he ends up marrying both this guy's daughters. And then he actually has two girlfriends to go with them. And so he's got, he has all these kids. And then he comes back, and, and he comes back to the promised land. And, uh, and now he's settled back in the promised land, and he's this old man in the promised land. And he just wants to see his son and wants to die. And all of a sudden, God says, listen, you're going to leave the promised land. I want you to go down to Egypt, down to that pagan land down there. And he's come to Beersheba, and he begins to worship there. And you know, what I picture him at Beersheba, you know, you remember in Lord of the Rings when Sam Gamgee, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's walking out and he's walking out of the Shire with Frodo and then he just stops in that field. And I, I wrote down the quote. And Sam Gamgee says, if I take one more step, I'll be the farthest from home I've ever been, you know? And he kind of has to stop and say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a leap out. I'm, I'm being sent out of my homeland. I've got to stop for a second. And that's what Jacob's doing is he's stopping in Beersheba and he's like, I'm about to take... One more step, and I'm out of the promised land. I'm, I'm being sent away. I'm being sent uh, into Egypt. To be God's chosen people, we must understand that God sends us. He sends us away from the protection and the comfort of our tribe. And um, he is always doing that. And there's two reasons. The first is this. The two reasons that God has chosen us to send us is for because, first of all, because God alone is our mission. Our mission is focused on God. And let me, uh, C.S. Lewis, in uh, 1947, he gave a, a, a lecture, a talk at King's College to a bunch of college students. And, you know, he's supposed to talk about, these college students, about what the world's like when you go out into the world. And, and the talk was called uh, The Inner Ring. And he talks about how um, in any organization, no matter what the kind of official hierarchy is in the organization, there are these unwritten uh, groups that form, these inner rings that everyone's kind of aware of that some people are in and some people are out of, you know, and, and you never officially talk about the group, um, but uh, th- there's this in-out formation, and he talks about how our desire, one of the driving desires of our whole life, is that these in-groups we long to be a part of. We long to be in and uh, this is what he says in that, in that talk. I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. One of the things that drives the decision-making we do often in our life more than anything is our desire to be inside the inner ring. And, um, and one of the things that we have to be aware of as Christians and as a church um, is that one of the driving forces for us is that we want to be in. We want to feel in. We want to feel the warmth and the security of being in. But our mission is not to be in. Our mission is, is to pursue God and to know him and to follow him, to follow Christ and to be with him and to obey him. And... Um, and uh, Lewis describes, describes very powerfully um, this, this desire for being in. And he says this. This is another quote. We hope, no doubt, 
for tangible profits from any inner ring we penetrate. We desire power and money, liberty to break rules, avoidance of routine duties, evasion of discipline. But this is what he says. But all these benefits that come from the, from the inner ring, all these would not satisfy us if we did not get, in addition, the delicious sense of secret intimacy. We want a place where we have a secret intimacy, you know, and he talks about how in these in-groups, there's certain language that the in-groups, you know, they have certain code words that are, you know, they no, no one ever invented them, but everyone, everyone in kind of knows what they are. And the thing is that the church can become that. We have our own language. Um, we, things that we speak, we have code words, we have ways of understanding one another, and we, we kind of evaluate one another um, in, in, in these terms and evaluate people who come in the doors and uh, decide who we make room for and who we don't make room for. And now, uh, uh, Lewis says, um, uh, now Lewis says that inner rings are, are a necessary part of life. They always happen. You know, because we work together. If you're in a workplace and you happen to work with certain people and you get one another and you happen to like each other, you're going to form an inner ring. He says it's not a bad thing. But as Christians, we cannot let our desire to be a part of an inner ring compromise our mission that we are a sent people. We are not another tribe. We are not another club. We're not another in-group. And uh, what the Bible says is, for God's chosen people, we are chosen to be sent. And what that means is that we are an inner ring that God is constantly shattering. He is constantly breaking apart and never uh, solidifying into a hard inner ring. Now, let me just tell you that uh, this, this relates to our church. Uh, you know, as you can see here, our, you know, our, our, our church has grown. If you've been a part of our church, uh, uh, some of you have been a part of our church since it was meeting in a living room. And obviously the experience of being in this church since then is a lot different than it was then. And there's new people. There's new people that God is bringing into this community. And that means that our community is changing. And so uh, there's a question for us of our identity that we're a sent people and that our mission is obedience to Jesus. And what are the implications? Are we ready, are we willing as a church to, to go through that change of making space that we are not an inner ring? We are an inner ring that God is continually shattering and he's continually breaking apart to make room for others. Because if we don't do that, then we're just more of what the rest of the tribes in the world are that, 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 that think I have a nice, safe place for me where I feel in. And so God is constantly challenging us. Are we willing to be sent? Now, the question that that raises for us, you know, in a church like ours, is we grow and new people come into our church. Some of you, this may be your first Sunday, and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm here my first time. But, uh, but as our church changes and grows, and our warmth to, to, to make space for new people. Um, you know, in the next couple months, we're going to be uh, looking at two services, moving to two services, which is going to be a big change of, of not worshiping all together and uh, the implications of that. And there's a question that many of you have is like, isn't it okay? Haven't we, don't we talk about all the time in this church that we're trying to be a family? We're trying to be connected. We're brothers and sisters. We're going to have deep community. We're going to have deep relationships. Doesn't God want that for us? And then he just breaks it apart? You know, how does that work? Well, let me just say one thing about my experience in this church, first of all, is, um, you know, I've noticed that, you know, our church uh, grew pretty quickly to be about, you know, 150, 130, 150 people. And then actually we stopped growing for quite a while. I think it was about two years. 
Um, and many of you say, when did we stop growing? I don't remember that. I, we actually did. And, and, uh, and what God gave us was a time to just be together and just to build relationships and to enjoy that because he does want that. He does want us to have time to, to build relationships and, and to uh, grow deep with one another. But then there comes a time where he sends us again. And he says, it's a time to, to, to break those and to open up space for new people into this church. And so we're coming into a time where we're going to have to go into that transition again and be prepared for that. And you look at Jacob. This is exactly what was happening with Jacob. Jacob was settled in the promised land. He was comfortable. This is my land. I've been, you know, I was, I was out of slave for 20 years, and now I'm coming back. And, and now I've got to leave and move my whole family in these wagons and go down to Egypt. And that's what God was always doing. He's always unsettling. And so first we have to remember that God alone is our mission. Following Christ has to be our priority as a church. But second, that God alone is also our security. Um, God is our security. As he sends us, now look, look at what happens. Look at what God says to Jacob. Here's Jacob. He's, edge on the, he's on the edge of the promised land. He's leaving his security. He's going, about to go into the desert and move to Egypt. In verse, 20, uh, verse 2 he says, And God spoke to Israel, in visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again. What, God said, what is God saying to Jacob there? I'm going to go with you to Egypt. You're leaving your security. He says, ultimately, I am your inner ring. That place where you want secret intimacy, someone who knows you so well, that can never be broken, and that you feel in, you are in with me. And that's never going to change. And even when I unsettle you and I uproot you from this land, that is not going to change. You have communion with me, and I'm going with you. And I, I'm going to read you one, one more quote. This is, a, this is a longer quote from Henry Now, and actually, a Shannon... Uh, showed me this essay that uh, Henry Nouwen wrote. It's called, if, if you want to look it up, it's called uh, Solitude to Community to Ministry. And um, it's a really excellent essay. And this quote, actually, I think could deserve uh, you know, a whole sermon to kind of uh, draw out some of, the, some of the truths in here. But I, I think it applies to our church in many ways. This is what Henry Nouwen says. Henry, Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest who wrote a lot of uh, devotional uh, works and really bright, bright man. This is what he says. Why is it so important that solitude come before community? So what he's saying is, why is it important that my, my most important inner ring is actually not people, but God himself? Why, why is it so important that solitude come before community? If we do not know we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way. I'm just going to read that again. That's a really powerful line. If we do not know we are the beloved sons and daughters of God, if God is not, if we don't have secret intimacy with God, if we don't know that we belong to him, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way. They, they cannot. We'll expect someone to give us that perfect, unconditional love, but community is not loneliness grabbing onto loneliness. I'm so lonely, and you're so lonely. That's not what community is. It's solitude grabbing onto solitude. I am the beloved. You are the beloved. Together we can build a home. 
Sometimes you are close, and that's wonderful. Sometimes you don't feel much love, and that's hard. But we can be faithful. We can build a home together and create space for God and for the children of God. Um, we can only be a, com- a, a community that is building and as a, a community of sent people, a community that's willing to be unsettled when we have secret intimacy with God, that he is our inner ring. We have solitude. We know that we are his beloved children. And, uh, you know, this may, in our case, it may look like something like going to two services where our, our church begins to be unsettled, but it may be for some of you that God's going to call you to go somewhere. Maybe you're, gonna, maybe you're called to be a missionary and to go serve him somewhere. Or, or to go be trained, you know, as a minister. Or, or maybe uh, there's somewhere in the world that God is sending you. Or maybe it's just a neighbor that, you're, that God is calling you to reach out to, that he is sending you to, to invite over into your home. Whatever it is, the thing that enables us to do that is that God is, alone is our security. It is not people. Ultimately, it's God who is my inner ring. And that needs to be true for us if we're going to be faithful as God's chosen people. And uh, let me just say one last thing on this, because I think this applies a lot to our church. Some of us say, okay, you know, God is always doing it. I finally, I build relationships, and then maybe I have to move, or the friends move, or, um, or you know, I'm in a church, I love worship, and then they go to two services, or then, they, or then they, I, they plant a church, and they do something, and God is always breaking it up. Doesn't he want me to have relationships? Doesn't he want me to be close to people? And the answer is yes. Okay, and this is, I just want to read this final thing from Jesus. This is Jesus in Mark 10. This is what he says to us. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. See, he's saying there's no one who is willing to be sent for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. God says when we let him send us, he will bring us brothers and sisters and mothers and, and community. He wants that for us, but we first, our obedience is to Christ. Okay? So, this is the first, that's the longest, uh, uh, first quality of the chosen people that makes us a distinct tribe is that we are chosen in order to be sent. We are an inner ring that is going out of being our inness. He doesn't just leave us in our inness, but he sends us out. And that prepares us for the second quality of being God's chosen people that's unique about God's tribe, God's people, is that we are chosen for the outsiders. God chose us for the outsiders. And... um, so, you know, most of the tribes of the world, the in-groups, whether it's in a high school and you form a little in-group of the popular people, what is that in-group formed for? Is it for all the dorky kids, you know? <laughs> Did they form that? No, they formed it for them, right? And uh, that's, but God says he forms us, not for us, but for all the people who are outside, for Bellingham, for the nations. And I'll tell you, um, this passage we just read has a parallel in Genesis 12, and uh, where um, God calls Abraham. And Genesis 12, let me just tell you, you know, I went to seminary in 2006, and we're, we're a Presbyterian church. If you're, if you're visiting and you don't know we're a Presbyterian, we're a Presbyterian church. And one of the things Presbyterians talk a lot about is how we don't actually choose God. We don't choose to say, you know, I'm going to be a Christian and I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to be like him. That's not how it works. It's actually that we're, we're lost and we're confused and just wandering through the world and we don't know what we're doing. And then God comes after us 
and he rescues us and he forgives us of our sins and he brings us into his family. That's how it works, is that God chooses us. And so I went to seminary. I believed all that. I was a Presbyterian. I believed that God chooses us. And then I came to seminary, and one of my first classes there was a class on Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, and he chooses Abraham. You know, and there's, Abraham wasn't a special guy. As far as we know, he was just, he lived in Mesopotamia. He was worshiping idols. He was just some guy, and God chose him. And then God says this to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Right? So he's saying the same thing that God's saying to Jacob. I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's the first time he said that. But then this is what he says, And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to make you into a great nation so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what he said to Abraham is, I'm choosing you, but I'm not choosing you just for you. I'm choosing you for the sake of the nations. I'm choosing you for the sake of those who are outside. This is going to be a chosen people that doesn't exist for itself. It exists for those who are outside. And that's who we are. We are chosen. We are insiders who are here for the outsiders. And, you know, let me just say one thing about all these names I just read. You know, I read all those names. And you're like, why, why is that all there? You know, all those strange names, is that really necessary? Is, am I getting much spiritual enrichment from all those strange names? Well, you know, you notice at the end of the list of the names, verse 26, uh, Moses, who's writing this, he does a bit of math, right? And this is what he says, verse 26, All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were uh, his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 in all. So there's 66, but then he does a little math here, and he says, And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. And all the persons of the house of Jacob, who came into Egypt, were 70. Now that number 70, to someone who knows the book of Genesis, shows up right around Genesis 12. Right before Genesis 12, there's this table of all the nations of the earth. And to summarize all the nations of the earth, do you know how many nations there were? There was 70. 70 is this number that captures all of humanity. And what God is saying is, listen, God's chosen people, they were a mini-humanity. What God was doing for them, what God was doing for us, God wanted to do for all people and for all nations and for all tribes. We are a microcosm of what he wants to do for other people. And so we exist not just for us, for them, but for the outsiders. And... Um, and what that means is that we exist as a church not just for us. God blesses us in this church. He wants us to find a community. He wants us to be loved. He wants us to grow and, and, and to, to transform and find out about his love. But he wants us to go beyond that. He wants us also to welcome in the people of Bellingham. Now, um, let me just say that the reason that has to be a part of our identity always it's because that's, that's what Jesus has done for us, right? You know, the Bible says that God is a community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God, they had this loving, transparent community where they, they were together, they were praising, glorifying one another, serving one another for all eternity, whatever that looks like. I don't know what that looks like, but they've been doing it. And then God, uh, you know, and we, we were alien from God. We didn't know God. We didn't have a relationship with God. And what does Jesus do? Does he just stay in that community? He left the community and God sent him to us that he would bring us, that we could share, that he would made a place for us. He made space for us in that community so that we could share in the life of the Trinity. 
that has to be a part of our identity always, is that we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for those because outside the community, because Jesus did that for us. And let me just tell you, let me just say uh, for you kids, kids, I know you've been listening a long time, parents have been listening a long time, but uh, kids, now I'll tell you what this means for you, you know, because you come here, come here every week, and you listen to these sermons, you're like, oh, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I'm trying to figure it out. I know you pick up some things, but you might think, what, is, what am I doing here? And what the Bible says is that God chose you for you to be here. And in ways that you don't even know, the Holy Spirit is in this room. Can you kind of go like this? Go like, Whoa. The Holy Spirit is in this room, hovering over this room, and working in your hearts and in your minds and shaping you and preparing you because God is going to send you out into the world. And there are people out in the world that he is calling you, to, that you're going to love. You're going to tell them about Jesus. And you might say, wow, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to go out into the world and to, to love people and, uh, and to tell them about Jesus. But guess what? Look at me. This is the important part. Everyone look at me. He has prepared good works for you. He's already prepared it for you. So you just trust him and you walk in those things and you just trust him and he's already prepared good things and people for you to, to tell uh, about Jesus. And right now, he is preparing you for that. The Holy Spirit is in ways that you don't even know. And that's true for you too, adults. That's true for us. Now, this is the last thing I want to say about uh, this special people, God's chosen people. God's chosen people are, are chosen to be sent. They're chosen for the outsiders. But the last thing that makes us distinct from the tribes of the world that want to kind of huddle together is that we are chosen for weakness. We are chosen for weakness. And you see this at the end of the passage. So Jacob leaves the promised land. You know, he goes through Bathsheba. He comes into the promised land. He's got his whole family with him. And they come into Egypt. And then it says this in verse 33. When uh, Joseph tells them, uh, gives this little warning and he says in verse 33, When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And so here's Israel, God's chosen people, and they're going down into the world, into Egypt, to live among the nations as God's light in the world, and, uh, and yet, they're going to be shepherds. They're going to be the lowest class. They're an abomination. That's the word. You are, an, you are this dirty, filthy people <laughs> among, you know, the nations of the world. And one of the things is God's people are always that way. <laughs> no offense. But that's who we are. It, it, it always says that. Actually, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Okay, that's what Paul says about us. <laughs> You're not wise among, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so the reason we're a part of God's chosen people is not because we're strong, it's not because we're competent, it's not, you know, we're, not that we're self-confident and wise and that we have the answers to everything. We're part of God's chosen people because we were lost and Christ saved us. We have Christ. And therefore, we have no reason to boast. We are a people who has no reason to boast about being special. There's, there's nothing I did to make me special to God. It was just his grace to me. 
So how could I be condescending to someone outside? How could I be self-righteous? How could I look down on? How could I do violence to people who are outside? I can't. I have no right to be here. It was only by God's grace. And that is the mark of the people of God is that we are chosen for weakness. That's how, that's how Paul talks about himself. He says, listen, I'm the scum of the earth. <laughs> I'm the scum of the earth. But that in him, because we are weak, God's glory and power and grace and love might shine. Every other tribe that forms, forms itself forms itself so it can be strong. It can be distinct. It can be different. It can be better. We are formed because we're the weak. And we have nothing to offer God. And that's because the, our master, we're the chosen people, but we have a chosen one who's the king of the world who came and he was despised. He was rejected. He was alienated. He was alone. He became an abomination for us. The chosen one of the world is an abomination. And that's the one that we have huddled around that defines uh, our community. And it's when we are defined by him that he has brought us here, that he has drawn us here, that we will be the chosen people who are sent for the outsiders and in weakness, that we might bring glory to God. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being among your people, among your household. We have no right to be here. We can make no demands of you except that Jesus has paid for our sin. He has purchased us. I pray that you would make us into a community that is continually being sent and being unsettled and that we would trust in your grace to us. Trust in the security we have in you that we are beloved sons and daughters. That we might exist for the good of Bellingham and for those who are outside in Whatcom County. 